Welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, conversations to engage and inspire missional people. and welcome to the Venture 12 podcast. Greetings, fans, listeners. Are we calling them fans? I would listen. Are you? Okay. Yeah, I am. All right, well, okay. That's good. Hope you're doing all right. Yeah, we really do. We really hope you're feeling good. Yeah, we are. And you're enjoying your Easter holiday or maybe you're back, back, yeah. at the, back, back working. Yeah. Happy um, Easter. Happy Easter. Have you enjoyed your Easter? Yeah, I have actually. Yeah, we were just talking. We've we've had a, a quite a good Easter here in Helsingborg, Sweden, yeah. with the church. Um, I've really you, enjoyed it. Anyways. You turned to me yesterday after he said, "Was this the best Easter we've ever had?" I like to rank things. I don't know why. Yeah, I think it was. Looking around the room, it was bussing. Everyone was eating. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it's been a really good time. Whether it's the best one we've ever had. It might be strong words. I felt it in the moment. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, did. So we've had a good one. Yeah. It's a good Friday. We were out in the city in, in the, one of the squares in, in Helsingborg. And uh, what, were we, what were we doing? We were repainting old furnitures, having some kind of art installation showing how Easter is about new life. Yeah. And people joined in. I'm not sure everyone got the actual meaning, but they loved the paint <laughs> and the chairs and the branches. Yeah, we leave that to the Lord. Yeah, hopefully we tried. We spoke through the medium of painting and and parents having to clean up their messy kids with paint that doesn't come off clothes. Come off clothes, yeah, and the wet wipes not yeah. really doing doing the trick. anything now. So there were things we can improve for next year. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> Let's say yeah. like that. But there was a lot of joy. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and there's a lot of engagement. So, so Good Friday was, yeah. was was really good. It was good. Uh, I took some chairs with me. It from was a home. brave, a very brave choice. <laughs> I did, as you were messaging me on WhatsApp, uh, yeah. you did make me aware that I perhaps hadn't thought it through. No, was my text me said I'm going to bring all our uh, dining room chairs, yeah. and I mentioned you might not be the most satisfied with the outcome. Yeah. You might want to bring a few. <laughs> and I hadn't actually spoken to Emma about it. That's She's even my wife, by the way. Braver. Yeah, that's a really, a really brave. <laughs> I just was worried that we were going to be short on furniture and that yeah. we just, it wouldn't look very good because we just have one stool or something yeah, like no, that. Yeah, that would be rubbish. So, we were quite all right, but your two chairs brought the extra flavour we needed. Yeah. 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 And when I was thinking it through, I thought there's a potential here that I might, these, they might turn out okay. Yeah. And I might be able to reuse these chairs, which is the whole purpose of the... It's still possible. You can paint over because I think the finished product now is not what you would want in your house, is it? No, definitely no. no. And yeah, I mean, if you picture this, listeners, (laughs) a wooden chair. Yeah. It was a really nice wood colour. 
is now like a mixture of black and red paint. Splashed. Splashed, yeah. yeah. So... Uh, with some wood still showing. With some wood still showing, so yeah. unfinished. Yeah. Uh, but there is resurrection for those chairs, I think. Okay, so there's a third, second, third chance. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. The, the gospel is, is good, isn't it's it? It's speaking through this yeah. chess yeah. yeah. But how are you apart from Easter? I'm good. Easter's always a good time for me because it's, it's my birthday. So I just had my birthday yesterday. Happy birthday. Thank you. 42. Mm. Feeling good. Yeah. And age is not irrelevant to the episode we're about to no, no, no. We're going to be looking at seasons of calling. Um, and I'm thinking a lot about seasons at the moment. Mm. Not least because I, I just shaved all my hair off. Yes. <laughs> That's kind of You've big. had some. Have they been rough? Rough few weeks, no? Uh, Good week? Well, I think it's, I mean, a lot of change, yeah. you know. And uh, some people thought I went too early, shaving it off. Uh, Is that the feedback you had? Getting mixed, 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 mixed messages, mixed yeah. responses from people. Some people said you should have done it a long time ago. Yeah. Other people saying you had loads of hair. Uh, other people saying I didn't know your head was that shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I thought yeah. I had a, my head. Anyway, this is a podcast, so audio. But yeah. I thought my head, so people won't perhaps be able to picture. I think they can picture a bald man. Yeah, but I thought I had more of a square head. But it turns out I've got a much rounder head yeah, than, I, than I thought. So that I mean that was a shocker. So yeah. uh, I keep. Like, you got like a classic hair, a head shape. What you would draw as a kid? What classic, as in? Just like not unique. <laughs> Quite general. <laughs> All right, that's okay. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I mean, it's looking good. I can, I can go. Hannah's one of the fans. I um, am. My husband is bald, so yeah, I'm quite what, used yeah. to that look. Yeah, but my family certainly uh, not had much positive feedback from them. Just mainly jokes and jokes, insults, yeah. actually. So, but would you uh, have guessed anything else from no, your no, family? No, no, no. Even if they're good. Probably. They're lovely people, but they're lovely people, they love the jokes. Brothers, you know what brothers are like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the first to go, I'm the oldest, so yeah. uh, I'm really hoping that you show they're not way. long behind, yeah. And what are you going to do to them when it's their turn? Um, I'm not, Give them what you hope I certainly to will, yeah. Well, no. Um, <laughs> you look beautiful. <laughs> there'll be no empathy <laughs> from me. Anyway, seasons of, seasons of life, so I'm very much, had my birthday yesterday, jumped in the sea, which mm -hmm. I did just decided in the morning that's what I'm going to do spontaneously. So, a lot of bravery coming from you. Yeah, I don't know what's going on inside me, but gosh, gosh, was that a good decision? <laughs> <laughs> it's freezing. We live in Sweden, by the way, so the water is icy. It's um, crazy, yeah. in my opinion. But anyway, how, enough about me. How are you, Hannah? How are you doing? What's I am fine in general, quite good in general. Today I've had a rubbish day. Yeah, my kids hid my phone somewhere in the house this morning. I think I have a parking ticket waiting for me on the car. I've forgotten everything I should do. You need to check that I out. I feel like I need to go home and restart today or just like end today. Gosh. Just close it. <laughs> like, wow. Finished with this Tuesday. But I'm enjoying this moment. I think this will be the highlights really? of my day. Yeah. yeah. So I, I am good in general. So if you, you, you perhaps got a parking ticket. I do, yeah, most likely. Because the app I'm navigating the parking from is at home in my phone. Okay. Yeah. 
Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> There's a lot of things in your phone, isn't it? Yeah. You notice that. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah. And I do yeah. lose my phone once a month. Yeah. So I know the, the dreadful feeling of, I don't know my pass, my codes, I don't know yeah. the directions. Anyway. Hang on, just saying that, I need to turn my phone off in case someone rings while we're online. Good. So, Whilst you do that, yeah. I can just so tell everyone that again. we, the book club, the Venture to Our Book Club, is restarting. We've had a little bit of a break of Easter and stuff, so it's a good opportunity to join. On the 20th of April, we're going to go with chapter four. So if you have the book Red Skies, or if you feel like you can order it in time and have time to read the chapter, you're very welcome to join us. Yeah, the book Red Skies, yeah. Um, so that's this Thursday. This Thursday, next, you say? Thursday. next Thursday, yeah, 20th. 20th. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, well, I'll be there. You'll Me be too. there? Yeah, we'll be there. Fun. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. So let's dig into the interview. Yeah. Do you want to say anything? Yeah. So this is an interview. Um, just letting the obvious there. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we've got Brian Sanders on, and uh, so some folks may be familiar with his name. He was one of the founders of the Underground Tampa mm. Underground, which is uh, and and seeing the churches network, a network of micro churches, which is very interesting. Mm. So we've done some one or two podcasts around that, yeah. but we're actually got Brian on today to talk about a book that he wrote um, called "The Six Seasons of Calling," and uh, hopefully. Um, for you listening, uh, certainly was for me, um, both in the interview and reading the book, it was something that was really significant, not least for my spiritual journey, but also helping me navigate the season of life in which I find myself in. And I think there's so much wisdom in this book and in this interview. And, it's, and, and even for those of you who really have a heart to help others uh, work out who God has wired them to be who's made them to be and mm. maybe what god has got in store for the next season mm. of of their life so uh, lots of real insights uh, but a really interesting and insightful interview i think yeah he's great got a lot of mm. wisdom to share yeah so sit back enjoy don't listen on double speed no don't do that Make if, you, if you if you're in a hurry you can yeah okay but we wouldn't recommend it. We would recommend it. No, there's a lot in this one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Enjoy. Welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, Brian Sanders. How, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Good to be talking to a Mancurian that's... Uh... Always a friend, always loved, even if you are a Aston Villa Pit fan. Yeah, we've had a, for those of this here, we've had a bit of a back and forth just before jumping online uh, about football. <laughs> Sometimes uh, a topic that brings unity, other times it's a topic that <laughs> creates distance between people. But uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. Manchester United, Aston Villa fan. It's good to be joined with a fellow football fan. Which is not the reason we're, we're on today. Christian unity, Christian unity transcends these things, doesn't yeah. it, Mark? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Come back, Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh, it's brilliant. Well, we're so grateful to have you, Brian, on, on the Venture 12 podcast today. And um, before we go into the topic, 
what we normally ask is uh, straight off the bat is, uh, can you tell us a, a bit about yourself, what you do, what you love, what you get up to, what you spend your time doing? Yeah, good. Um, well, of course, it's nice to meet you, Mark, and uh, you know, spend a few minutes together. The thing people might recognize my name from is I was the, f- the founder of something called the Underground Network, um, which is sort of a, <clears throat> a new alternative sort of way of doing church. It's just seeing the church as a network, a platform for microchurches, uh, empowerment for people to start things. And all of that is predicated on calling, which I think, you know, I think we're going to talk about today, but um, I left that role as executive director, um, I don't know, five years ago, something like that. Uh, spent some time in, in Western Europe, lived there, doing work there, falling in love with, with the, the island of Ireland. Um, and then I've since come back and taken two roles. One is um, working with something called the National Christian Foundation and trying to leverage or to convene what we would call cross-organizational collaborations for causes. Uh, so, you know, intractable, difficult social causes, uh, working together for collective impact, and then trying to leverage higher-end philanthropic involvement in those things. So trying to trying to really release larger amounts of money, higher capacity money into what is higher impact work, which has led me interestingly into um, kind of this realm of church unity and church, church transformation, city transformation movements and, and, and just how hard that is actually how difficult it is. So I'm kind of tiptoeing around the world of collaboration and, uh church collaboration church unity city transformation stuff learning about that that's that's kind of the learning curve for me right now and then i also took a job with um as a market leader for a a co-working company called cohatch which is um which is a a sort of beautiful ecosystem builder which is something as in the underground we tried to do um from a from a not-for-profit uh standpoint now can we create co-working environments and shared space and build on a shared economy and that sort of thing and they've just they've just have a a team design team that can build these incredibly beautiful and profitable ecosystems so i'm helping them come into florida so this is another uh iron i have in the fire right now but what do i love what i mean i at my core i'm i'm just a missionary um, and all of these things are iterations of a call to make disciples, to make Jesus known in the world, to see people surrender their life to the one who gave his life for them. And I'm just, you know, haven't really moved off that, you know, since day one. Different ways of contributing, I suppose, to that cause, to the kingdom, but my heart is and was and is and i i hope always will be um just for jesus that's great that's great well yeah uh, one of the things that you you didn't mention is that you're also an author uh you've written several books and um, and the book that we're going to look at today is uh, a book that someone actually gave to me uh, maybe a year and a half ago the six seasons of calling discovering your purpose in each stage of, of of life and i know you you wrote this book you know from 
personal experience, stuff that you've picked up in your own life, uh, also experiences that you've had in supporting others on the journey and, and also from your studies. Um, but before we get into the actual content of the book, would it be possible for you just to lay down some maybe foundational ideas or revelations that you've had around the the the, the central idea of, of calling, just to give us a bit of a platform to go from? Yeah, sure. I mean, like I said before, because the underground was essentially an empowerment platform, so it's like you feel called by God to start a tutoring program or start a homeless ministry or start a, a church in your home or whatever it is, right? Um, you know, we were like, okay, well, we're going to build this this multifaceted platform to help people do that. But you then people saw the underground and thought, oh, I want to be part of that. I want to join that. But you really can't join it unless you're a called person. So we we had to sort of start to figure out, I, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, the social technology around calling. How is it that people hear God's voice, call them into something? Because some people are walking around going, I know exactly what God's called me to do. I'm going to go try to do that. And then they're showing up with that advantage, frankly, that, that, that sense of identity, of clarity, of drive. Uh, and then other people are kind of like, I don't know. You know, I work here. Most Christians believe that God does call us, that God will give us a specific calling, but it's it's actually shocking how few of us really can put our finger on what that thing is. So we started realizing that's really important to figure out how to help people do that. Uh, and then a couple couple I I suppose foundational revelations, if you want to put it that way. One is that we I have realized over you know a couple of decades of working with people to to discover their calling and then and then and then walking with them through it. So not just that initial event or initial experience, but walking them through it for years and years is first that that calling is not a static thing, it's a dynamic thing. So it's not something that just happens when you're 24 and that's it. You know, you got your calling to ministry or calling to medicine or calling to teaching or whatever it is. And that's it. That's the last time you hear from God on this issue. You know, um, that's not actually, the more you think about it, the less likely that seems actually the less loving that seems sort of a deistic idea that God will just give you a calling and walk away and be like, listen, I already told you what to do, you know, check back in with me when you die, you know, that, 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 that God is more interested in intimacy with us and the struggle. And as the changes of our lives occur, he's probably walking with us through those and speaking to us and calling in that sense is dynamic. So the change from the idea of calling being static to being dynamic to the calling is time sensitive that there's that oftentimes we feel called by God and we really are being called by God to do something for a period of time. And so that's important. And then lastly, I would, I would say that calling has to do in some profound way that I, I still don't really fully understand, but I'm trying to understand and, and trying to unpack in the book, is that calling is developmental. That, that God is interested, Mark, in you and me and everyone listening, being conformed to the image of his son, that he's actually working on something in us. There's Sanctification is his work in us. It's the Spirit's work in us. And whatever we're doing in the world, whatever assignments or purpose or significance we get from what we do, from the actions we take upon the world, our behaviors and their impact, and actually God is really interested in us developing and changing from the inside out, that, that there's a character journey that we're on. You know what I mean? To go from being kind of like, 
not that much like Jesus to a little more like Jesus to as close to Jesus as we'll be. And then we take our last breath and then we come into his presence fully. I mean, that's, that's probably that invisible journey is probably way more important than we realize. Mm. And so trying to understand, I mean, look, if you said to me, I feel called, you know, you're 19 and you say, I, I, I feel that God has called me to be a surgeon. Um, Amazing. What an amazing, what an amazing clarity that would be. Right. But you, I really hope you don't just walk out of that prayer room and go start trying to do surgery on people. You know, that's, you're not, you might be called to be a surgeon, but you're not a surgeon yet. So actually that means you're called to med school before you're called to be a surgeon or you're called to a residency before you're called to be a surgeon. And actually in the U S you'd be called to, to study for the MCAT before you go to med school before you take a residency, before you become a surgeon. So do you see what I mean? Like a sense of calling, an identity of calling often has with it these developmental days or seasons or, you know, periods of time. And so, yeah, you're actually called to go to med school. That That is your calling for the next four or five, six, eight years, whatever it is. And that's just as profoundly important as the, like, in other words, God wants to use you in that period and and he's with you. He's walking with you through it. He's not just kind of like, hey, can you please go to med school and come back to me in eight years so you can actually do the thing I really wanted you to do? And you're not, you know, you just have to do that. You, you know what I mean? So, so, so dynamism and calling some relationship to time and then our our development you know you're you're more mature now than you probably were 10 years ago and so what can god lead you to do what how how can he use you in the world i hope it's in greater ways than even 10 years ago you know what i mean as we grow and develop we become maybe more useful in the kingdom in different ways anyway now that's good so so we're getting the idea that it's uh, it's, it's dynamic um, and you give it um, quite an interesting framework around six six days. Um, and you know what was really, really um, powerful and helpful for me was actually beginning to understand deeper things through the framework and the season that I was in, which is which you call the maker, the maker season. Uh, we'll perhaps come to that in a, in just a moment, but um, just so people understand what I'm talking about, it would be great if you could, uh, just build on the foundations that you've laid, and maybe just talk about the seasons. And if yeah. you re- if you remember, could you also say something about um, the uh, you, you, in every chapter? There's also a core dev- developmental um, the, the condition and and a, a threat to that to that development in that season. So it'd be good if you could share something around that as well. So the framework, the season, the six the six yeah. days, and then the the the, the 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 condition that's most helpful for growth and the threat sure yeah i mean i just i i probably started with that um you know god creates the world in six days it's six kind of periods of time they build upon each other they're cumulative in many ways they culminate in um him creating human beings in his image and just that kind of I don't know. We're we're creating the image of the God who creates the world in six days. We're given a sort of, a sort of span of days, a span of time to to do something creative in the world, to use our lives for something. And and so I started to think, okay, if we were to break it up into segments of time, 
<clears throat> and so I was toying with this kind of 10 to 12 year um, segments. And the more I looked into it, the more I researched it, the more I looked at the anecdotal stories of the people that I had known wrestling with calling, the more I saw there really is something potentially to to these kind of 12-year segments, these 12-year transitions. So day one, you know, birth to 12, day two, 12 to 24, day three, 24 to 36, day four, 36 to 48, 48 to 60, and then 60 to 72. By the way, I was teaching this not long ago, and a bunch of 90-year-olds came up to me and said, look, we have a group, and we're still going strong, so your thing sucks, and it doesn't make any sense. And I was like, okay, it's a, it's a, I, you know, fair play to the 90-year-olds, guys, because they were rocking it. They were still, like, following Jesus, whatever. It's so 72 plus, so you, uh, you don't really have to die at 72. You move on. You can <laughs> 72 and then some. Um, anyway, so yeah, day one is just and and so I, I kind of I kind of recognize these are major transition points, you know, 12, 24, 36, 48, 60, and 72 are major transition points, but also those periods of time carry with them a kind of common calling that we all have, a common developmental calling. So I would say day one. I would, you know, the way I frame it is, is childhood is the call to be a child, actually, to simply be a child. It's the only day that I would argue that what you already are is what you're called to be. You don't need to be more. All a child is supposed to do. And by the way, even to say a child has a calling is weird. Why does a child have a calling? Of course, a every human person at every moment of their life is called by God to be and do something, right? And a child is called to be a child and to simply be themselves. And I think the the sort of developmental conditions that, that allow that to happen is bonding and play. Those are the arguments I make. And that the the sort of active regression or threat to the, the, those prime developmental conditions is isolation and fear. So anything that it inhibits bonding, anything that accelerates adulthood into the life of a child is probably a problem. So day two, then I call like adolescence, whatever, um, I would say the calling is to be a student. So learn to, you know, to be a child. And then day two is to be a student. And students, you know, the, the, the core work then is learning. And the best developmental condition is agency. It's actually to give adolescents, to give teens freedom, to test the world, to experiment, to um, see if it's really the way people say it is, you know. So in a sense, what we sometimes look at as rebellion or pushback is really not just healthy, but I would say they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. So you told them the world is this way, but they're they're supposed to touch it, push it, you know, test it, see is that true? Is that true for me? And and I would say the big threat in that is what I call the sin of inversion. It's calling good evil and calling evil good. It's to get mixed up as you're testing, as you're trying to see what's real and what's right and what's good and what's evil, to get those things inverted, to sort of say, actually, this thing over here is really good when it's really bad. And this thing over here, which is actually beautiful and good and from God, we call that a bad thing. So that that's when teenagers get it wrong. But the calling in day two is to learn, is to be a student. Day three, 24 to, to, to 36, that early career period, and and I don't know how it is uh, where you are, but I know you know Americans are like they pressurize 
this age group, the 20 year olds to like make their mark in the world, to know exactly what they're meant to do, to go start some great company, to, to, to rise to the top quicker than they should. We do this in ministry too. We take people, you know, kind of hot shots or people with some talent or gift in ministry. We, we rush them into leadership and it always ends badly. You know, a 25 year old that's given a massive platform, you know, you might as well just set a, set a time bomb in their soul, you know, um, that's just not going to end well because I would say the call on day three is to serve. The call is to learn to be a servant, to learn to be under someone else's leadership, someone else's vision. So before, before you can be a leader, you have to learn to follow. You have to learn to be a soldier, you know, to take orders to, and I'm not saying unhealthy environments or companies or ministries, but something that's not perfect, but worthy, you know, a good church, a good ministry, a good company, and be a part of that and just learn to follow, learn to like take direction and follow someone else's lead and, and work towards someone else's vision for things. And I think my advice to people in, in, in day three is try everything, you know, like you think, well, I don't really like this or I'm not great at this do it anyway. In fact, every kind of job that you're offered to do, do it because this is this is a time of learning to serve and learning about yourself, learning. So if day 2 is learning about the world, testing the world, day 3 is learning about yourself. It's figuring out what you're good at, what you're bad at, and you think you know when you're 26 what you're good at and you're bad at, but you really don't. You need more time, you need to try more. There's some things you think you're bad at that if actually you start working on it, you you might find that there's some aptitude there that you didn't know before. And so what activates that, the developmental like thriving is challenge. Just give people in day three loads of challenges so they can fail and learn from it. Like, yeah, I did not do good at that, you know, and, and also have little tastes of success. The threat I think in day three is, is entitlement. It's a belief that I shouldn't have to wait this long or um, can I jump the line? Um, or yeah, I spent, I spent two years learning to serve. Is that enough? It isn't. Um, anyway, so then that moves you into day four. So learning, you know, the call to be a child, to be a student, to be a servant, by the way, in my mind, these are cumulative. They build on each other. So it's not like you stop being a child or stop being, a ch- I mean, t- to enter the kingdom, you must become like a child. And so you never lose that. Uh, certainly not as a as a condition. Like we're always children, always a child of God, a student, a learner. You're always a lifelong learner. You never stop being a learner. So even even when you're seventy, you're still learning. You're still trying to learn. You're still a child of God. You're still trying to learn. So you don't lose these things. You build on them. And the new identity doesn't throw out the old. It 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 is some it is some some kind of a, a you know a progression from it. So you're a lifelong student and and the learning to be a servant, you never stop being a servant. <laughs> but as you move into leadership, you carry with that gravitas of having followed and having, you know, it's maybe not a great way to say it, but paid your dues. You know, like you you put some time in in something that you didn't 100% agree with or you didn't create yourself. So that leads you, in my mind, to day four, which is the act of creation. It's the, the sort of maker day. It's the day where you're finally are supposed to say, mm, I kind of know what I'm good at and I kind of know what I'm not. And I think I'm going to start focusing, just doubling down on what I'm good at. And I think I'm going to start saying no 
to the things I'm not good at. So in day three, you took on everything, including things you weren't great at, because that helped you learn something about yourself and it helped you learn to, to be submitted. But you stop, you kind of stop doing that in day four. You should, you should start saying, I think I'm going to, I'm going to try to take leadership here. I'm going to maybe this thing, which I didn't think was quite right. I'm going to try to make it right or do it differently. This is our chance. Mid thirties, early thirties, people start to feel this. They start to feel, I don't think I can keep working for this company anymore. Like, I think I should start my own, or I think I should do, I should do something within the company, which is an innovation or something like that. Um, So it really, the work then is creating and the, the sort of, developmental condition is impact you want to see change you want to see your your unique beliefs ideas you know perspective having an impact somehow and i would say the real threat in day four is um is avarice it's greed it's it's hard to stay on track with jesus in day four because everybody else is making a lot more money than you probably (laughs) like if you if you follow jesus's way you know, it's probably not going to be massive position and fame and money and that kind of thing. I mean, maybe it could have some of that, but typically it won't. And other people are at are at sort of apex earning, and that can become really a distraction. I think in day four, instead of doing that creative thing you're meant to do, you just keep you just keep climbing some ladder because you just want what other people have. You know. Um, that leads to day five. So, you know, child, student, servant, maker. Then day five, you know, 48 to 60, I would call mentor. Like you're called to 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 start giving away. You you move off center. You don't need to be the one leading anymore necessarily, or the one right in the center of everything, designing it, controlling it. You you start to give away the thing that you made or the thing that you created or the things that you created um you want to see a different kind of scale a multiplication of your of your work of your whatever your creative thing was to sort of give it away to the world and you start to take maybe joy in seeing other people thrive or succeed in the way that you did in day four um and i would just say the big the big kind of threat then is distraction because a day five person will have loads of opportunities and many of them are not the thing you should be doing you know you and and you can also just keep building on your day for creation rather than starting to let it go and working through other people and then i would say day day six then the last day is about um you know finishing it's one foot in this world one foot in the next day like really dialed in jesus day six people are mystics they 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 see the world differently the world gets really narrow they they become a little more monastical you know their their prayer life changes their their reflection on their work changes um it's not just that they've given it away and want to see a few people succeed or be mentored but they start to be able to reflect on the whole of their life and and they're they're sage people they they offer us something incredible the the downside for the mystic the threat to the mystic is obscurity it's to begin to feel that you don't matter when actually you really do but there's just a, a density to their input in the world it's gotten a lot smaller probably you know in day six god makes human beings in his image and in a weird kind of parallel i'd say day six is about us picking just a handful of people to kind of pass on all that we are 
the best of ourselves are are not just like what we did or what we created or helping people do their their kind of creative thing in the world but actually to to you know pour in to their full development all of who they are and so mystics are looking for like a handful of people to pass on everything they know about god it's about legacy essentially they're thinking about legacy and about their own future which the next major transition for them is into eternity so anyway that's that's the basic framework and i'm sorry that took a long time but it's no it's it's, it's great it's great let's go in more specific then okay so i sent you some questions and i I said i really want to ask you this question I, i i i land in the season of um the maker uh maker stage which you said is between 36 to 48 roughly um you want to leave your mark on the world uh you know there's you, you want to become more focused rather than frantic helping around doing many things and you want to find some peace in that that you're okay with what's not being done but you've got some kind of focus on uh one or two areas projects or whatever that looks like for various people um in the book you you said that you, you talk about this season um it's in this season of life that systems can and should be challenged that new ideas new organizations uh, new initiatives will emerge um and for others it might might be finding a new work can you like just unpack that season a bit more the, the maker season and maybe from experience but also uh, from helping others, what what typically do you come across? What are people going through? What's going on inside them, and um, what what's helpful? Yeah, and again, I mean, we, some people just have a a dis a predisposition towards critique, right? They can see very clearly, very early, what's wrong with something, right? What's wrong with a system? So, let's say you join a company or something and you're 27 and you just have that sort of keen analysis you you just you probably start to feel almost immediately like i don't like this i don't like this this isn't right this isn't done right this is unhealthy this is wrong this is this is unethical whatever you start to see this is inefficient um and my argument is that if you're in day 3 you should kind of pipe down you should you should learn now if something's immoral or illegal or something by all, by all means be a whistleblower that's different that's not about development that's about you know right and wrong but you know you know in my own experience in in that day i had a lot of criticism about the church right uh, you know the church spent how it spent money how it does leadership how it disempowers people how it's too focused on the platform how it's like clergy lady divide you know i was i was full of fury and fire of critique you know like there was almost nothing i wasn't critical of you know um and and we and we talked about it a lot you know we'd come because uh, we were missionaries right we were urban missionaries and we were missionaries on campus and so every day we were trying to like reach lost people and trying to care for the poor and trying to live out our faith sacrificially and in intentional community. All this stuff. We just didn't see any of that stuff. We saw it in the Bible, but we didn't see it in church. But we go to church because you're supposed to go to church. So we'd, we'd be there on Sunday, you know, ignored. 
and feeling in tremendous dissonance and then money just the way money's being spent even though you see people suffering and needing money and just frivolous frivolous use of money and it is was really driving me crazy but what what you realize is number one no one's really listening you're just kind of you're in an echo chamber talking to yourselves just getting mad and it's not making any difference so it's not effective right and then number two you don't know what it's like to lead that you don't know the pressures you don't actually know that how difficult it is to to engineer and lead change out of a out of a an inherited system like that you really don't know so you just act like people should just do xyz and the truth is we we need a period of time where we kind of don't do that where we we feel that but we try to understand how hard it is we try to see it we try to serve it but not forever so I think there can come a point when you've sort of learned to submit yourself, when you've learned the way of Jesus, you've learned to respect other people, you've learned to understand this is hard, and I and I can respect that. But I still have this nagging sense that it isn't quite right, and that it should be done differently. And I think that kind of begins to come to a head in your 30s when you, when you feel like, yeah, this isn't going away. And I do love these people, and I'm not I'm not trying to judge them, but I can no longer be a part of a system like this. So for us to to kind of finally come to the conclusion that we should just break off and do something else to create what what became the underground was an act of making. It was an act of of creation. And that comes from the agency of like, listen, I I worked for a parachurch organization for for a dozen years and I had a supervisor and I I tried to be a good soldier. I didn't always succeed. I was not the best, you know, rule follower and so on, but I was trying. And if I could have done that better, I wish I would have. But to learn humility before you take a bold step of saying this all needs to change. And then the difference is, bro, then when you go to change it, you realize this is a lot harder than I thought. Hmm. A lot of the things that I was criticizing actually have merit, you know, but you're in the act of creation. So good. So you take all that on yourself. It's no longer just sitting around sort of armchair leading. You're saying, you're saying, I'll try. If you don't think that's right, then try to do it differently. Stop criticizing other people. Step out. And do what you think is right then. You try to do it. You try to create something different. And what you find is you were right about certain things. That it what you were meant to step out. You There was something kind of wrong with that. And you could possibly do it better. But also there's plenty of things that you were wrong about. There's plenty of things that, that they were doing just fine, actually. Or that they were trying their best. And you find it's not so simple as you thought it was before. So all that softens you. In a strange, weird way, breaking away from the church was the best thing for my relationship with the church because it made me feel, um, you know, uh, I don't know, empathy <laughs> for for how hard it is for that struggle to kind of do what they do. But still, we had convictions that we had to start living out. Do you see what I'm saying? So you can't, you, you're not sort of subservient forever. At some point, there has to be a, a, a turning point where your your sense of critique has to change into something constructive and you should actually try to apply those convictions in some way now that that was what motivated me mark somebody else might be motivated more of a more from a positive journey of like just seeing something beautiful to go chase some vision which is not currently happening that they want to chase 
them. What launched me was a sense of critique, but the backside of that critique was a dream and a vision of what the church could be, of reading the New Testament and thinking, why can't we have more of that? And and can we can we jump over some of our inherited systems and start again? And of course, that's my story. But I think any act of creation is an act of criticism. It starts as an act of criticism. It starts as a, as a way of saying this doesn't this isn't quite right. You know, I was just thinking this morning about you know Reed Hastings and the story of him. Uh, you know, Reed Hastings is the is the founder of Netflix, and he he he. I think it was Apollo thirteen that he checked out from Blockbuster and got a forty dollar late fine on the movie Apollo thirteen, and that's that's the story. That's how it started. He's like, this isn't right. Like, this is way too much money. <laughs> like, I could have bought this movie three times for this amount of money. So he said, there's got to be a way to create some kind of a you know movies by mail and no late fees. And he was trying to solve a problem. Right, he was saying this isn't. There's got to be something better. So any act of creation is an act of correction. It's an act of like seeing something that isn't quite right, which could be better. It has a it has a kind of dream of something better. And I think everybody that's your age is probably dialing in on something. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be massive. It could be a curriculum. It could be something within a system. It could be a a book you need to write or a group you need to start or a or a or a an approach that needs to start being applied, but it's always an improvement, always an innovation, always something brand new that only you see. Well, only you are positioned to maybe take that step. And I think we're all equipped. We're all called at that point in our life to do something like that. Uh, That's really interesting. And you've just reminded me that I've got some overdue books at the library that are racking up some <laughs> I've got some books out for the kids. I keep getting an SMS saying they're late. Uh, anyway, back to it. Um, what, what season of life are you in? What's going on? Uh, you don't have to answer, yeah, so but I, I thought I'd put you on the spot. Yeah. What, what's going on for you? You're in uh, the next season after the one I'm in. Yeah, so when I when we left Ireland, I was I just turned 48. Um, and so, yeah, I'm 50 now. Um, and you know, it, it really was, you know, another major turning point. I think these transitions, each of them, as they happen to us, they feel a little bit like a crisis, like an identity crisis or some, something is precipitating them. It'll feel almost external, like a, a job change or the kids leave home or, or you're just feeling restless, like a deep sense of restlessness, um, but in all those, it's an occasion for intimacy with God. Like you just go back to like when you're, when you're 22 and you're like finishing uni and you're like, who am I? What am I supposed to do? No one's giving me grades anymore. People told me where to go. Now I don't know where to go. That's a wonderful crisis because it, it should for the, for the Christian person, it drives us to God. He's the only one that has answers for these things for us. So it drives us into a place of prayer into reflection and say, Lord, who am I really? And what do you have for me? And what do you want from me? And that can be such a, such a, a dark night of the soul. You know, it's, 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 it's a, you know, it was evening and morning. It's like between the days of creation, there's darkness, there's unknowing, there's nothing. And you have to go through that eat that nighttime to get to the dawn of calling a dawn of like, Oh, this is it. And there's not, there's really nothing more beautiful it's a renaissance, but it's, again, it doesn't just happen once. And so for me at 48, it was another renaissance. It was another dawn. It was another awakening to, you know, 
I don't need to be the center anymore. We were talking earlier about me kind of moving away from being the executive director of the underground and giving that to a younger team and just feeling the, the sort of, I don't know, freedom of that sense of, okay, Lord, what's next for me? And I felt the same way I felt when I was 24 coming out of university and the same way you'll feel when you're 60. That's the beautiful thing. The, 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 a seven-year-old can be feeling the same brand new sense of, of it's a new day, a dawning for me, a new, a new kind of sense of calling as the, as the 24 year old, you know, they, they can have that in common, you know, that same feeling. So, so for me, it has been moving away from needing to be driving something or leading something or being the center of something to maybe watching other people thrive. I mean, I just, I just get a real thrill from that. Um, I want to pour into people who are in your day, you know, who are like just coming into their innovation or just coming into their critique and who, but who are like, you know, have, have, have learned themselves to serve and follow and are ready to be empowered uh, to do that. And to watch other people thrive and flourish is giving me a new profound sense of, joy fulfillment satisfaction whatever but you never stop being a maker you know what i'm saying you never stop being a servant you never stop being a student you never stop being a child so of course i'm still starting things and of course i'm still trying to learn i'm still trying to serve here and there um it's funny because now i'm like a more of a servant to the underground like i sit on the board i lead a microchurch i'm just a i'm just a regular person within the community i'm trying to be a servant but i'm still a student still trying to learn about collaboration trying to grow and all that stuff but i am in that mentor day that's really what most fulfills me fascinating and you did touch on it um about these moments of transition that can be both disorientating displacing um, but also a place of like a sense of renaissance emerging. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, when, it, for those who I really encourage everyone to get hold of this book, um, it, between the six seasons, there are what you call interludes or you, there's, there's some parts of the book which I found really, really helpful just for perhaps giving some, you know, metaphors or other ways of understanding those liminal spaces, you know, the between the between season or the, or the transitions. Um, I think you call it a dark or, or a dark, the, the dark time or, you know, we've got great tradition in our Christian tradition of putting um, imagery to that and also you know, words that help us express that journey between the Good Friday and Easter, Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think a lot of people find themselves in those moments of leaving something and going on to something new, but that their calling is is taking on a different, you know, expression. Uh, that's not a question. It's just maybe just a reflection over what you were saying. Well, um, and, 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 and embrace it. Like if you're in that, if someone listening is in that period, um, you know, that is the, the darkness before the dawn. I think just press into Jesus, recognize nothing is wrong. It's not, something isn't, hasn't gone wrong because you're, you're, you're back into a place of confusion or unknowing that it's actually perfectly healthy and normal and and my argument is it happens about six times in your life it's supposed to happen about six times i could be wrong i mean but it's not one time you know what i mean and it's not a thousand times you're not meant to wake up every morning going who am i what am i supposed to do so i think god's calling changes there are these transitions but it's also stable 
So it's, it's got to have a certain amount of like, you know, longevity to the sense of calling. So uh, yeah, that that's just a word of encouragement. Like if you are in that place or feeling that right now, nothing is wrong, but press in. That's good. That's great. I've got two questions uh, that if you can answer fairly sure. Uh, so the, the first one is, um, does the six seasons still follow the same pattern for people who have perhaps I don't know, either been out of the workplace or perhaps have been um, focusing on family, bringing up the kids? Do the, do the patterns work? Do the seasons work uh, for people who might, in some senses, feel I needed to focus on family for a long, you know, long season? Um, what have you said to people who perhaps raised those kind of questions? Or is it just static? Are they, are they flexible seasons for people? Um, I, I, I mean, the, the honest answer is I, I just really don't know. I think like any taxonomy, it's probably best to just take it as a, you know, a suggestion, an interpretation, not, not to, not to press it too far or too hard. Most of the feedback I get is that's this is my life. This is exactly what happened to me. This is exactly the way it is. But some of that could be like confirmation bias. You know, you're just, or I'm just hearing from the people that relate to the exact seasons. Although there are plenty of people that have said to me, like, I feel like I missed something. Like I, there was a point in my life where I wasn't really following Jesus or I was not dialed in. And I probably missed that. You know, we, many of us have had like difficult childhoods, for example, where, where we didn't, the bonding and play was not preeminent and and we we kind of have to go back maybe and relearn some of those things that we missed um so in that sense i i guess maybe part of what i'm saying is it's a developmental process that every human person probably needs to go on that maybe it's 12 year cycles maybe it's something different for you but i i kind of maybe would would want to make the argument that we all need to learn these identities that we all need to, that God actually is interested in um, leading us through these discoveries somehow, somewhere. I mean, if you become a believer at 65, is it just over? You know, no, I, I still think you could, I still think God would want to teach you these lessons, would want to help you discover that you're you're his child, his son or daughter, to be curious again about the world, to learn to be a student, to learn to serve, to to lead, to make something, to pass that on to others, you know, and to think about your your eternal future and and to kind of become, you know, mystical in that that uh, journey or or point in your life so you know does it apply to everybody yeah i think so because it's I, I at least i'm trying to i'm trying to i'm trying to imagine something that sort of does apply to everybody because it's developmental because it's not you know in the same way that if you look at like eric erickson or any any kind of early childhood development or even adult development theories psychosocial theories it's it's sort of common to healthy developmental process developmental cycle and and this is a this in my mind is sort of biblical um cycle of growth psychosocial development so i just don't think people should rush to go be a mentor if they've never been a follower you know what i'm saying <laughs> so like like i read a, I, I recently read a guy who was like 20 20 
who wrote his memoirs. He wrote a memoir. And I just, I couldn't swallow how inappropriate that was. And it was not good. He was a YouTuber or something like that. Um, I mean, it was, it was, it was clever. It was, you know, he was, he was sort of an interesting guy, but he shouldn't be writing your memoirs at 20. Can, can we just agree on that? Like, where is the, where was the editor, you know, to say like, it's not time yet, man, to like, he was, he was waxing wise about his life and, and le- life lessons and so on. And I just think it's not that he hasn't learned life lessons. Of course he has. We, we all do at each point in life, but it's too soon for that. So he's trying to rush to be a mentor. And, and I think, so in that way, I, I do think even for the poor, the people I know around the world, there's still this journey that we're on to to learn to serve, to learn to lead, to learn to give away what we've what we've garnered over a life of of sacrifice and learning. And 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 I, I just think everybody's probably supposed to go through something like that. Thanks for that answer. That's really really helpful. I've got a question about uh, leadership. So. There'll be folks uh, leading in all kinds of spaces, and and hopefully a lot of those people are really leaning into what it might look like for them to just raise potential in others and and help people navigate the seasons of life that that, that they're in. What kind of leaders are good at, at at helping people in this space of calling? In terms of what mindset do they have? What and what kind of behaviours do they adopt or drop? Um, who are the kind of leaders that really really what are we looking at? What describe that kind of person? Uh, it's interesting. Um, I mean, is it Second Corinthians four? You know, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So that's really important. Let's, let's just take those one at a time. For what we preach is not ourselves. So this is condition number one, <laughs> that you're we're not looking for leaders that are promoting themselves, that are self-promoting. Number two, Jesus as Lord. So somehow triangulating in the Lordship of Jesus, like I'm trying to follow Jesus as Lord, you should too. I'm going to try to submit to him, but you should submit to him, not to me. I think that's a pretty important condition. For, so what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves, so he comes back to that, and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. So, okay, but we are here. So we are a part of your life. We are we are leaders and influencers in your life. So what are we then? Well, we're your servants. So the posture of a leader that helps other people flourish, that helps other people become what they're meant to become, acknowledges the lordship of jesus above their role their position and then positions themselves as under them is actually saying i'm here to serve you my job is actually supposed to serve you but last little condition which is super important too for christ's sake so not so that you can just like live your best life or become your best self or make the most make your millions or whatever but it's actually for Christ's sake. So there's something he wants to do in you. There's something he's trying to do in the world, the mission of God, the application of the mission of God through your unique and beautiful life. That's what we do. So I just think that's probably the perfect um, line from Paul for us. 
It's not, we don't promote ourselves. So that's a, that's a first condition. We've, we've already crossed out probably 20% of American Christian leaders. Don't, don't promote yourself. Jesus is Lord, the Lordship of Jesus, not something else, not some peripheral issue, not a political issue, not a, not even a biblical issue, but the, the clarity of that early creed that Jesus is Lord, what makes us his is we're all submitted fully and totally and utterly only to him. He is the head of the church, his body. And then we serve. So our, 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 we're not trying to gain something from other people. We're not trying to game them. We're not trying to take advantage. We're not trying to get them to buy something. We have to take a posture of we, we want to serve you and whatever it is to figure out what is the Lordship of Jesus asking from you? What has he called you to do? I want to help. I want to serve that for his sake, as long as you stay on with Jesus. Now, if you want to go like, you know, start a life of crime, I'm not going to serve you, right? But if you want to do this thing that God's called you to do, count me in. Like, I'll do whatever I can to help you succeed. That's what I think leadership looks like, um, you know, developmentally. That's great. That's great. Well, I can see the time is nine o'clock your time or and three o'clock my time. Um, you can go now if you want, but I have one last question and you can yeah. choose. We'll edit it or not. Um, but if you want to stay, here's the question, and it's the last one. And I want you to give your heart as well to the, into this question. So we've got all kinds of people listening, but a lot of folks on the frontiers of mission working in all kinds of diverse and, and beautiful and broken communities across the world. Um, I guess like, you know, this idea of taking this, uh, you know, um, embracing this idea of helping people with their callings has got it insurmountable potential for the body of christ and beautiful wacky expressions might might emerge and and all kinds of uh expressions of the body of christ might emerge um what would you like to say to to people everything we do to kind of discover calling is kind of just a gimmick like the the whole thing is to just hear his voice it's just to be in a relationship with him he's he just knows. He knows you. He knows the people you you work with and you love. And to just be as intimate as possible as you can with Jesus and as submitted as you possibly can be to his loving leadership and to help other people do the same. And honestly, the rest of it is just confusing and distracting. Um, but to that, that sort of central idea that making Jesus Lord, not just in other people's life, but in your life. And and the the centrality, the the beauty, the fascination of a Christian missionary leader person should be only on Jesus. Should still be about Jesus. I'll just leave you with this one thought. I there's there's a Nobel Prize winning economist a guy called Daniel Kahneman who <clears throat> wrote a book um, called Thinking Fast and Slow. And his his art well he, he's sort of saying our the way our brains work is a similar to like a camera you know you, you can set the camera to automatic and it just does all the stuff for you and takes a picture that's thinking fast and then there's there's you could set it to manual where you you have to adjust everything and that's like thinking so you, aperture and focus and the lens length and I don't know anything about photography but you know something like that. And our cameras can be set either to automatic or manual. And our brains are like that. There's some things we just, we just 
we don't think about it. We just react. It's they're on automatic. And there's some things we stop and we're like, we don't really get this or fully. So we have to think really slowly, really deliberately, really intentionally about the thing. I, I, I want to make the plea with Christians, with particularly leaders, to always think slow about Jesus. To always keep him as the thing that we need manual lots of attention and adjustment when we move jesus into the thinking fast category like i got that i understand jesus let me go i'll think slow about tactics or you know strategy or a certain issue or a sort of doctrinal concern or something like that we think we think slow about that but jesus is yeah i got that i already know that i'd, I'd say we lose the plot the whole thing gets out gets wrong and and my plea would be to never until the day you die. If you live to be a hundred, you're still thinking slow about Jesus. You're still going. Do I get this? Do I see this? Is it could it could it be this wonderful? You know, could he be this amazing? And to look at it from new ways and new facets, and to always see Jesus as something I don't quite fully f- understand yet, but I'm totally and utterly enraptured and fascinated by the attempt. To understand him there's something about that the, the the humility built into that the the worship the posture built into that that i think aligns correctly around aligns to everything else like if you just do that you know the other bits will sort of be where they need to be well thank you for that um i think what you're saying is really really important and i think the conversation we've just had has been utterly fascinating and the book is really really uh a book in season i guess it's always going to be a book in season hope you know but but we really want to encourage people you know who, who's listening to to maybe pick it up and and pick it up for yourself but also to do it perhaps in community because uh, i think you'll have some really really both stretching and life-giving uh, conversations brian thank you so much for sharing um and giving us your best and uh it's just been really joyful to be with you. Thank you, Mark. Cool. Here's some questions for you to reflect on by yourself or with other people. What season are you in and what's going on inside of you? In what way can you use what you heard today to equip others? Who might be interested in this episode?
Welcome back everybody. I uh, hope you enjoyed that uh, opportunity just to slow down and reflect around those questions. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast as well, the interview with Brian Sanders. We're back, Anna and myself, just to reflect a little bit further. You all right, Anna? I'm all right. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the listen. That's good. Yeah. What, okay, well then, what, what was most interesting or what grabbed you? I think I've read the book as well and I just feel like he's painting a very beautiful picture of calling, an attractive picture. Like you want to, if you were not a Christian, you would really want to just get diving in. That God is working on something in me that's dynamic, that's changing over seasons, that's personal, intimate, you know. I think that's very full of life. Mm -hmm. Just that sense, that's what's what it's leaving me with yeah, at the moment. Yeah. And I do feel like the different stages, the seasons, um, I feel like I recognise them. I've not lived until I'm 72 or 90, obviously, but I feel like I can see them in other people. I can see them in my own life. I've read some psychology. I feel like it's very much lining up with mm. kind of research I've come across as well about stages of life. Mm. What about you? Yeah, no, I agree. I was thinking just about the childhood season. Mm -hmm. I was reflecting on moments in my childhood that might have been mm -hmm. really formative. So I was taken back to moments where either I was in the classroom or on the football pitch or mm -hmm. someone encouraged me. Uh, was it around bonding and play then? Yeah, yeah, it's around bonding and play. So that's the, the childhood stage. And yeah, um, yeah so so you, when, you, when you read the book, you do kind of, so certainly now I'm in the fourth season so you begin reflecting in other seasons and you can see yeah. where maybe significant moments which you perhaps haven't thought were significant uh, actually actually were so so it takes you on a bit of a journey it does and it's painting a beautiful picture of like your future as well mm. I loved the last chapter on the last season yeah with as you say like one foot in the next life yeah. and it's a bit heartbreaking but also yeah you know, Richard Rowe talks about dying well. Yeah. And I would like to do that. Yeah, yeah. That um, mystic phrase. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of just one leaving world behind slightly and just going into a more spiritual world. Yeah. Lofty, probably. lofty, lofty words, but just this beautiful picture to, to become a, a real gift to the next generation. Yeah. I really appreciated what he said about the student uh, season. Oh, yeah. When you're supposed to learn, uh, it's the freedom kind of breaking free from something. And he was saying how we often give, um, and I guess it, that goes into the worker season as well, but how we often give responsibility to young people too early. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important to race that just because you see, we see a gift in someone or, and especially in church, I think we want to be very encouraging. Mm. We see gifting and then we put a lot of responsibility. But to kind of, as a mentor to someone else, be able to say that you're learning still or you're, you're in the servant phase. I feel like that gave me some tools maybe mm. uh, and something I wish maybe someone did to me a bit stronger because mm. I was rushing ahead mm. um, and still sometimes might be. Um, he was saying about jumping the line. <laughs> I felt quite mm. hit. <laughs> I daydreamed about jumping the line sometimes. You need the patience to walk with God. Yeah, yeah. That's mine. But yeah, I feel like that's a good just reminder to all of us. It's not 
encouraging to give too much responsibility too early. Mm, mm. That takes real discernment. It does. Mm. Yeah. He talked to, talking about walking. It was one of the things mm. he, he said. One of the foundational ideas is that you know, one that calling is not static. Yeah. So it's not just an event. It can be. It can have really significant events, but it's it's yeah. more. And just that 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 his his privilege of being able to walk people through it patiently. Yeah. Um, I think is a real mindset. Yeah. As much as of course there's tools and there's you know we might call it discipleship or a part of discipleship, but I think I think that is a what a beautiful picture of having mm. someone walking alongside you to help you tease out your to help you journey with you ask that question of what's god doing in me now and how can i really add value to the things that matter most in this mm-hmm. in this season imagine having people who would give their time uh, and heart to serve i think that was one of the other things he said yeah to, serve people. to keep being a servant to keep being a servant yeah and i think that's sometimes why we are scared of the word calling because maybe we should mention that, that it's not a an uncomplicated term to talk about calling because there's been this pattern of only the ones becoming priests are called. And, you know, um, I believe everyone is called. (laughs) And so does Brian and you. Uh, But I feel like if we feel like when we are supposed to name calling that it's for a whole lifetime, or this is my life now, this is the thing I'm going to do. It gives us some, you know, it's too big of a task Mm. to name that. And I think it's helpful to say for this season, this is what I feel like God is calling me to do. To study med school or you know learn from this person or mm. to kind of break life up in seasons makes it more it's easier to get going talking yeah. about calling totally totally I and i asked a question about my season the maker season yeah and what what was it in the interview was that um well the, the threat the developmental threat in that season is greed mm. so you begin to look at everyone else because you're at that age and see people a lot further ahead, perhaps financially, or they might have more things. Um, that can be a real vulnerability in that age. But he, he actually said that what you need to do in that stage, which has really challenged me actually, is you need to worship as much as you can for as long as you can, mm-hmm. as often as, as, you, as you can. Uh, because that's what really is the real, it orientates the heart in the right right place. And he says that's, he didn't say, of course, we're always called to worship, but particularly in that stage, in that mm. maker stage, um, where we become particularly vulnerable to other voices or whatever, or yeah. comparisons or whatever. So and maybe because pa- um, privilege and influence has rised as well. You mm. know, you have a higher horse to <laughs> fall from in that age, you know, or like more damage to make yeah, sure. if you're not serving Jesus closely. Yeah, yeah. So that was, and certainly his last words on the mm. podcast as well, you know, just about um, going, what was it, going patient or slow with? Think slow about Jesus. Mm. Think fast about other things. Yeah. I love that. I feel I feel like that about other things as well, though, like discipleship. Mm. It's easy to just throw around like, yeah, we're training disciples. And I've had that feeling of, oh, no, no I need to think slower here. Uh, but I've not had the kind of phrase to mm. use. I need to just really like, do I really get it? Like, what are we actually talking about? Yeah. And Jesus obviously is the main person to think slow about, not rush ahead. Yeah, yeah. I've got a question for you, Hannah, because we, mm. we've, um, 
in our church, you've done a little bit of work with what's called the calling lab. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a concrete tool. So just to get the, where we are now, just asking the question of what, what might it look like for people who want to help others. Can you say something about the calling lab as a tool? Cause that's connected to the underground and Brian's yeah, yeah. work. So it's Brian, he's the teacher in the calling lab. So the calling lab is an online platform that you can access for free. Uh, f- through the Underground Network website. And it's a, I can't remember now, nine different, eight or nine different steps you take and you watch a video and then you get some work going. Touching on personality, past experience, um, APEST, um, lots of different things, uh, other people's input, prayer, kind of breaking down calling into small pieces. Mm-hmm. Not just like, what am I called to? That's too big of a question. And what Brian is saying in the course is that for so long, we've kind of said that prayer is the only way to access calling. Uh, We pray and then God tells us something. But he's kind of suggesting that God is giving us lots of clues in our personality, in our opus gifting, in our history. If we have a history of addiction, he might really want to use us in that area, might not, but we are maybe better suited than some people who haven't had that experience. Um, so just finding the clues that's already there, helping people get going. Um, and you can watch it together with a whole group or with one person and just kind of journey with them, help them unpack the findings along the way. Mm. I, bl- I love working with Calling Lab because you see you know, so we sometimes talk about uh, tasks that in church, like can you be in charge of kids' ministry? And that's, that's a task. But if you approach it from calling, that God has actually made me a shepherd evangelist and, or a teacher prophet, and I've uh, got this passion for young people and for the future church or the present church, um, you kind of approach your Sunday school ministry slightly different, or a lot different, I think, with more passion and authority, potentially. Mm. Um, or you might find someone who's just not supposed to be in church really and just go and do something else. They should be out there. They should be out there. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I would recommend yeah. trying it. Yeah. Try it with yourself first because it's yeah. quite helpful. Sounds really good. I think that it's so easy, isn't it? That's certainly for those of us who growing up in heritage models of church where we often we try and fill holes in the project yeah. that we call church. Mm. Like we need five in the worship band. Someone sit on the computer with that yeah. magic finger to yeah. drag down on the PowerPoint slides. Yeah. And we need, we try and fill those slots two at the door, welcoming people. Mm. But to flip that story is maybe one of the big challenges in our discipleship for this season, in cultural season, yeah. missional season, to go from people's dreams, callings, their past, present, future yeah. hopes and dreams, and the kingdom is bigger and more exciting than our current model of worship services mm. or like, yeah, the organisation we're in. We can still, you know, be very faithful and serve and be called to that place, but we need to have the kingdom perspective before we go into that. So otherwise we're never going to pull ourselves out of mm. our own little box. Yeah. 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 That's good. So the calling lab, we really recommend it. Yeah. Um, I think we're running out of time, Hannah. That went fast. It went really fast. We've got so much more to say, but... Can I mention one thing? Yeah. I feel like it's important. And Brian did mention it. He said that he's obviously approaching his 
journey through his own, you know, epist callings or his personality. And I think that there is a lot of freedom and creativity, especially for the maker phase, to find your own words, your own kind of groove. Mm. Groove. Groove, I like group. that. Yeah. Like, this is the things I'm imagining. Maybe I'm not going to create a book or I'm not, you know, but I might pour my life into this group of people with deeper love, with more wisdom, with more authority, you know, yeah. that there might be different ways to create something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't want anyone to kind of get stuck. Yeah. There is endless. Endless possibilities. As he said, I'm yeah. just agreeing with him. For yeah. you to cut your unique groove. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard because we keep and you know yeah. society is present. Yeah. But God is bringing freedom. Yeah. That's really, really good. It's about empowerment. Yeah. Um, for people to be their unique selves. Yeah. Um I think we we better bring it to him. But in, in the book, um Brian does actually, uh, in one of the interludes, so there's interludes between every chapter, and often he talks about the transition stages. One of the prayers that he's found particularly important was from Ruth Haley Barton, who we actually interviewed, didn't we? Yeah. Not so long ago. Some months ago. And she, um, I don't know, did she bring it up in that podcast, The Prayer of Indifference? Yeah, she did. The, the Prayer of Indifference. Um, so... Uh, and, and the prayer of indifference is, is essentially is trying to silence any other competing voices other than God's voice. And we know we live in a world where there's so much distraction. So that's essentially the, the, uh, one of the biggest challenges all of us face is to, is to prioritize and be able to have the peace of being with the Lord mm. and to hear his voice clearly. Um, so maybe we just end with... With Ruth, not Ruth, it's not Ruth Haley Barton's prayer. No. Uh, it's Ignatian, it's Ignatian. Uh, spirituality, yeah. isn't it? So should we just, are you okay just to yeah. pray us out? Yeah. So a very short prayer. Lord, make me indifferent to anything apart from your will. Amen. Amen. Be blessed, everybody. We'll see you soon. See you. Bye.